the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. I don't know if you've ever experienced personal betrayal from someone. I mean, deep kinds. I mean, friends betray each other and, and people do uh, things like that. But I'm talking about deep betrayal. If someone betrayed you. Maybe a husband betrayed you. A wife betrayed you. Maybe a, a close personal friend that was like your dearest friend and they betrayed you. A boss betrayed you. An employee betrayed you. Maybe you've experienced deep personal pain from betrayal. I want you to imagine knowing, as Jesus did, the one. Can you imagine sharing a meal with that person. Jesus showed compassion and kindness to the people who didn't deserve it throughout his time on earth. Even the way Jesus treated Judas, although he knew what Judas was about to do to him, is an incredible example to Christians of how to treat those who are unkind. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to follow in Jesus' footsteps by trying to live your life like Jesus did, full of love, compassion, and kindness towards others, no matter how they treat you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. By the way, the first time that Judas speaks, recorded in Scripture, is the story about the woman, about Mary giving out this expensive perfume. John's Gospel records, that's when Judas says, hey, this money could have been given to the poor. It's the first time in the Bible that Judas is recorded speaking in in chronology. This is the second time. Second time here is when he says, what are you willing to pay me? What are you willing to pay me? Greed is at the core of his heart, for sure. He's got money on the mind. He wants to help himself to... The money bag that he keeps, that's why he's bothered that Mary has broken this alabaster perfume, and now he wants more money, so he goes and asks for 30 pieces of silver so that he might betray Jesus. The equivalent of four months' wages. Exodus 21 verse 32 tells us that it was the price of a slave in the day. 30 pieces of silver. You could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus would be the one who would purchase us from slavery. And Judas would receive 30 silver coins for his betrayal. Now we know that Judas will give the money back. We're going to get ahead of ourselves in the story, but Judas will throw the money. Uh, when, he, when he comes under conviction, he will throw the money back to the chief priests, and he will go and he will hang himself. And some people will wonder, well, does that mean that he turned and he repented and maybe we'll see him in heaven? I don't think so, but I can't judge the guy's heart. I mean, only God is the final judge of that. The reason I say I don't think so is because you need to recognize with me that there's a difference between remorse and repentance. A lot of people can feel remorseful. That doesn't mean you're repentive. 
We need to be repentive if we expect the Lord to forgive us and for us to go to heaven. A lot of people feel sorry. A lot of times they feel sorry because they were caught. They have remorse. But that's very, very different from repentance. We don't see repentance in Judas' life. We see remorse. But as he receives here this 30 pieces of silver, it's going to play out in his betrayal later in this chapter. But now, commercial break is over, and we go back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover feast. And it tells us in verse 17 that on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, again, when you look at the other gospels, it helps to fill in some of the blanks. And so Luke tells us in chapter 22 that Jesus was specific. He says, when you go into the city, you're going to be met by a man carrying a water jar. Now, let me tell you why that would be different in Jesus' day. Because typically, the people carrying water jars were the women. They were the ones who went down to the well, lugging the water jugs back to the house while the guy is sitting in his easy chair with the remote watching ESPN. That's what would happen. The ladies were the ones lugging the water. You see them at the airports even today. It's the ladies who are lugging the luggage. And sometimes I'm wondering, where's the guy? Where's the guy? He's just standing right there. And he's just looking through his, 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 you know, his electronic stuff and devices, making sure that... And the ladies like dragging the luggage behind. So, you know, here come the good old ladies. They, they usually are dragging the water jugs back to the, back to the house. And so this would have been different. Jesus says, you're going to see a guy actually working. And... Uh, <laughs> You're going to see him carrying a water jug, and when you notice this guy, then follow him. Now, this is obviously preordained that God has aligned this, and God is, you know, who knows? Maybe even this, this guy is an angel, and, uh, he's, and, he's, and he's going to come, and, and he's going to represent himself. And then in Luke 22, it just says, Jesus says, follow him into the house where he goes, and then ask the owner. So it's like, this guy's just kind of a little messenger to get you from one place to the next. And then ask the owner... Where is a room that we can have the Passover meal? And then in Luke 22, it says that he will show you an upper room, a room upstairs that is fully furnished and prepared and ready for the Passover meal. So it's like all of this has been already preordained and predetermined by God here. And so Jesus is telling them, here's the signals, here's what you're going to find, and, and go and do this. And so it says in verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, this is evening, so it is sunset. Remember, the Jews counted their days starting at sunset. We count our days starting at midnight. Not the Jews. The Jews, even to this day, they count their days starting at sunset, which is usually 6 p.m. So when Jesus is eating his Passover meal, he's going to be crucified on the same day that he eats the Passover meal. Because he's going to be taken into the wee hours of the morning before the Sanhedrin, and then he's going to be nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., the Bible says, and then he's actually going to die at 3 p.m. It's all in the same day. So as he shares the Passover meal with his disciples, he's reclining at table, and he says to them, one of you will betray me. And you got to love verse 22. It says, they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Is it, is it, am I the one? Am I going to? Now, notice how neurotic they are, okay? They're either neurotic or they have a guilty conscience. <laughs> and I think if we're all honest, we can see ourselves around the table here. 
because they all had just enough guilt that they weren't sure if they would potentially be the one to betray him. And one by one, they're like, is it, is it I? Am I the one? Am I going to betray you? Would it be me? And Jesus replied, verse 23, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Now notice this. There's a Latin term, triclinium. Triclinium is a horse-shaped table. The, the, the way they would often set up the Passover meal was in a horseshoe-shaped, like a U or a horseshoe, and then they would re- recline around the outside of the table, and then whoever might be the host would be able to walk on the interior of the, of the U and the interior of the, of the horseshoe and, and serve people as needed. Now, today, the Seder dinner is much more elaborate than it was in Jesus' day. They have the parsley, they have, the, they have bitter herbs, they have the salt water, they have a lot of stuff today that they didn't have in Jesus' day. And, uh, and that's okay. It's just, you know, today it is spelled out more about some of the different emblems of the suffering. But in Jesus' day, it was a lot more simplified. And what this part tells us when Jesus talks about the one who dips, the one who dips his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. So they would have taken uh, some of the bread and they would have had common bowls that would have had some of the hummus or, or some of the bitter herbs or, or some uh, parts that they would share together. And he said, whoever dips his hand in the bowl with me will betray me, which means what? It means that Judas was sitting right next to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced personal betrayal from someone. I mean, deep kinds. I mean, friends betray each other and, and people do uh, things like that. But I'm talking about deep betrayal. Someone betrayed you. Maybe a husband betrayed you. A wife betrayed you. Maybe a a close personal friend that was like your dearest friend and they betrayed you. A boss betrayed you. An employee betrayed you. Maybe you've experienced deep personal pain from betrayal. I want you to imagine knowing, as Jesus did, the one. Can you imagine sharing a meal with that person? That if you had the ability to know that someone was about to betray you, can you imagine what it took for Jesus just in his constant compassion and his constant just peace in the midst of all kinds of scenarios, this one being one of them where he was about to be betrayed, and he's sharing the same bowl with the guy who was about to betray him. And he says in verse 24 that the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. Whenever Judas speaks, he never refers to Jesus as Lord or Master. He only refers to him as Rabbi, Teacher. It's a little bit of an indication to us that there was never really a total heart surrender for this guy. He never really saw Jesus as Lord, never really saw him as Savior. He saw him as a teacher, as a teacher. And uh, Jesus answers him, yes, it is you. Now, John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 30, says it's at this point that two things happen. One, in John 13, it says that Satan entered Judas. Satan actually possessed Judas. Now, a lot of times we throw this terminology around where we talk about, you know, somebody's possessed by Satan. Satan, you know, he, what we can see in Scripture is that there are two that he possesses, Judas and the Antichrist. 
they are both referred to, as, Jesus refers to Judas in John's gospel as the man of lawlessness, one doomed to destruction. It's the same phrase that Paul uses in Second Th- Thessalonians chapter 2 to refer to the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the one doomed to destruction. King James calls him son of perdition. And so Satan enters Judas. It's not like Satan enters everybody, okay? Demons have their share of possessing people who aren't believers, but Satan is very selective, and he selects Judas here. And uh, Judas is possessed. It says Satan entered Judas, John 13, verse 27. That's one thing that happens here. And then in John 13, 30, it says that as soon as Jesus reveals to Judas that he is the betrayer, that Judas gets up and he leaves. That he gets up and he leaves. Because what we're about now to read is how Jesus takes a portion of the Passover and he preserves it as a sacrament of the church, baptism and communion. And we call this portion I'm about to read communion. Some of your traditions might call it the Eucharist. Eucharist is just a Greek word that means thanksgiving, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Uh, but that's what this portion is here. So Judas is not present for this, even though it looks like it in Matthew's Gospel. When you compare the Gospels, John 13 tells us that Judas at this point, he gets up and he leaves. And he's, and he's going to go meet with the chief priest, and he's going to bring back a, a band of rebels. And so Jesus goes on here. It says in verse 26, that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus preserves a portion of the Passover meal. Why? Because it was always pointing to him. And in a greater sense, because while Passover was all about the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, look, through Jesus, the greater deliverance is the deliverance from sin through faith in his finished work on the cross. Does everybody see this? It's all what Christ has done for us by virtue of his death on the cross. So Jesus takes a portion of the Passover and he says, look, in essence, this unleavened bread, this bread without yeast was always pointing to my sinless life because yeast was always symbolic of sin in the Gospels. He says, this is a picture of my life without sin and it represents my body. And the cup, there were four cups that they would drink in the course of a Passover meal. This was on the timeline of different cups as you read through the Gospels. This is the third cup, and it was the cup of redemption. And Jesus lifts this cup of redemption. He says, this is my blood which is shed for you. And he links redemption with his sacrifice, and he links the bread without yeast to his holiness and his perfect life that he lived without sin, so that he and only Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice who would die to take away the sins of the world. And he lifts this up. Now, some people will say, well, look how definitive he is here when he says, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood. And of course, those of you from, from the Catholic faith, from the Catholic tradition, and our church is made up of uh, many who have come out of the Catholic uh, church, understand the, the doctrine of transubstantiation, the belief that, that the elements actually become the body and blood of Jesus when you ingest them. And while I don't agree with that, I understand why people might think that because of, of how straight Jesus is speaking here. This is my body. This is my blood. 
But understand, look, these are spiritual terms. You can read about it further in John 6, because in John 6, Jesus says, these words are spirit. But in addition, recognize, Jesus didn't always speak literally. He would often speak spiritually. For example, remember Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. It wasn't really a vine. It was a spiritual terminology. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. It wasn't really a gate. But he's using spiritual terms to communicate a spiritual truth. So it is here. He's using the bread as an emblem of his uh, body that was without sin. He's using the cup as an emblem of his blood that he was shed on the cross so that we would never forget that it was his life that was given as a sacrifice for our sins. And that's why here at Cornerstone, once a month on the weekends, once a month on Wednesday night services, we will partake in communion, the Lord's Supper, so we would never forget. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do this until the Lord comes so that you would never forget the sacrifice that Jesus paid for your life. Well, I always love verse 29 when he says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Because I, I hear sometimes how people will use the life of Jesus to justify their love of wine. You know, I hear people all the time say, you know what, I just, I'm, I love my wine because if it was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for me. Well, okay, but then you got to live by verse 29. Don't drink it again until he drinks it anew in his kingdom. People who go around quoting things and like, I'm going to do what Jesus did. All right, well, verse 29, that's what he said too. So there you go. Now it says that they had, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Psalm 115 through, and I'm not advocating, you know, read my, or listen to the teaching in the book of Proverbs on, uh, on alcohol. Maybe it will be refreshing for you. But um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can't within limitations, uh, although I, I do believe it's different for pastors. But anyhow, so... Um, <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm just not going to even go there. But anyhow, uh, but, but when they had sung a hymn, Psalm 115 through 118, that's also referred to as the Hillel, the Hillel Psalms where they would worship. So, you know, when they had sung a hymn, they weren't singing Amazing Grace. They weren't singing How Great Thou Art, okay? This is, they were singing the Psalms. And they're singing the Psalms, particularly 115 through 118, that was put to music. They would sing these songs, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, then Jesus predicts, Peter's denial. Look at verse 31. And then Jesus told them this very night, you will all, speaking to his disciples, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Again, I wonder how much of this they're comprehending. He said in this chapter, I'm going to be crucified. He's now saying very plainly, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm not sure how much they're getting. But nevertheless, Jesus talks about how they will all fall away. Now, this is not the Greek word apostasia. This is the Greek word skandalizo, to be scandalized. They will not apostasia, they will not fall into apostasy. That's not the word used here. They will not forsake Jesus in terms of their faith. But they will temporarily fall away. They won't want to be associated with him. They're going to get scared. Jesus is going to be arrested. They don't want to be near him. They don't, they, they don't want to be arrested with him. They're not courageous. Their courage will fail them, but not their faith. And again... We can see ourselves in this story. There's some times when you can probably look back in your life, I know I can on mine, and wish I'd been more courageous about the things of the Lord. And these guys are going to fall away. Their courage is going to fail them. They're going to be scandalized. 
Jesus quotes from Zechariah 13, 7. He says, well, look, the prophets predicted this. You will all fall away because when the shepherd is struck, Jesus being the shepherd, the sheep are going to be scattered. He says, but, he encourages them, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter replied, verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, Peter seems to be stuck on the first part of this, and he doesn't take heart in the second part. He should have been like, you're going to rise again? This is awesome. All right. This is great. Can I try the walking on water thing one more time? I'm so charged. No, he's stuck on the first part where Jesus says, you're all going to fall away in account of me. You're going to be scattered. And Peter says, and don't you love his arrogance here, okay? This is just pure pride. He says, well, even if all of these guys fall away on account of you, I never Will. Now, did your mom ever tell you never use words like never? Never say never. Always. Don't always say always. Never say never. Those are exaggerated terms. And Peter, full of himself, he replies, if they all fall away, wouldn't surprise me. But me, on the other hand, I'll never, I'll never fall away. Jesus says in verse 34, I tell you the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared. It is a Greek word that is more emphatic than verse 33 when it says Peter replied. Now Peter declared. Now it's greater emphasis. He's even stronger. And he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never, uses it again, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. They piped in, said, yeah, we, we, won't, we won't desert you either. Now, we know this is not going to be the way it goes down. And uh, it's interesting to note here that Jesus talks about, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus, again, when you fold the gospel, it's not that the gospels contradict each other. If you want the full story of all these events, you fold the gospels together. They complement. They don't contradict. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Mark tells us that Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Why is that important? Because what Mark tells us is, and the way it happened, is that the rooster crows, and generally the rooster would crow, obviously at sunrise, which was generally 5 a.m. The rooster would crow, and Jesus says, before the rooster crows a second time, you will deny me three times in between that. What does that mean? It means that what God was actually doing was giving Peter a warning. A warning. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me. The first cry of the rooster was really a shot across the bow. It was really God's way of offering him the opportunity. You don't have to deny him Don't look at all of this story and say, well, it was all foretold, it was all predicted. No, no, no. It's not in violation of human free will. It is told to us from the vantage point of these events that they did unfold the way that they did. But God is always offering us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. He's doing the same thing for you and me. There are times when you and I might be engaged in very, very um, potentially compromising situations. And how many times can you look back and recognize God was trying to get your attention ahead of time before you had to suffer the consequences. For Peter, it was the sound of a rooster twice 
first time. You should have heard that and known. That's the warning. That's the warning. I shouldn't deny him. But he did. He ends up denying him three times. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know